Oh, good morning, everyone. Uh, very happy that I could be here, um, given the opportunity to bring God's Word to you. Um, Pastor Matt and I have known each other for probably about 15 years. We met a long time, time ago through his, his parents. And I live down in the University City area, but whenever I come up to Escondido, it's kind of a trip down memory lane for me. I lived here for three years while at Westminster Seminary, uh, but uh, it's been a long time since I've actually like worshipped at a church even though in Escondido, uh, even though it's only you know, 25 miles away. But it's good to be with you. Um, I am uh, or was the pastor of Harbor Church San Diego um, and was there at, with Harbor Church for about 16, almost 17 years and have uh, recently, uh, God is moving us into a little bit of a different uh, direction, but um, any chance I can get to, to preach. I'm also a musician, so Josh, if you're ever out, let me know. Um, but um, my wife and three kids are, uh, they attend Redeemer Church in Encinitas. Uh, I wish I could have brought them with me this morning, but they were happily asleep when I left uh, this morning. So let's get into God's Word. Uh, Matt, uh, let's, we're going to look at Mark 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. So he, Jesus, also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning where we can gather together in the presence of your Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you have spoken Um, in many ways very clearly, but other ways that are hard to understand. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would enlighten us this morning, enlighten our minds, that you would move in our hearts, uh, that we would not only uh, get information from you, but we would experience transformation from you, Uh, that we would hear uh, what you need to say to each one of us, that you need to what you want to say to this uh, group of believers this morning. I pray that you'd forgive us our sins, that you'd have us rest in Jesus, uh, that you'd uh, forgive this speaker of his sins and allow your word to come through very clearly uh, to impact our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, I know I just introduced myself to you, uh, but I want to share with you one of my greatest nightmares um, and it's not a dream nightmare as much as it is an experience. But one of my nightmares is when either my wife or my daughter comes to me uh, with a piece of jewelry and says, can you get the knot out of this? 
And I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but with these fine little you know, chains, the, the links that you're trying to get together and not break it all apart, for some reason, whenever there's a knot in something, my family comes to me to try to get it out. Uh, and a lot of the times, you know, after I've spent five, ten minutes trying to work through this thing, I, I ask God for more dainty fingers, but I just like throw it away. I'm like, I'm done. I, that, that is it. That's been five or ten minutes wasted of my time. You know, let's maybe get back to it in another couple of weeks or something when you really need it. Um, and it's just like these knots that I, I, I hate undoing and I give up um, and I oftentimes just, just kind of throw it away and I get so frustrated with it because I, I just can't change it. Uh, the same thing is for me in Rubik's Cubes, and I don't know if you're, which, it, I have a 13-year-old nephew who knows the algorithm, so he can do a Rubik's Cube like that, the entire thing. Um, I can't do one, I can barely do one side, uh, and trying to get a second side is, is virtually impossible. Again, it's like one of these things that's frustrating, I just can't seem to solve and kind of want to throw it away. And and if, you, if you're a Christian, I don't know how, if, if, if you are, or, but if you are, if you've been a Christian for a, a long time or a short time, um, do you ever find the Christian life very frustrating? Uh, you feel like you get yourself into these situations where you just can't solve the issue, you can't solve the problems, you're in knots, and really, oftentimes, we can get to a place where we're, we're just saying, God, why aren't you changing things? Why aren't you growing me? Why aren't you changing this person? Why aren't you making my marriage better? Why aren't you making my kids better? You know, whatever it is, and we pray maybe for days and weeks, maybe for years and decades, and God doesn't do anything or doesn't look like He's doing anything. And it's very easy to uh, start to grow angry towards God or apathetic towards Him. And get to a place of where we're ready to just kind of oftentimes, I'm, I've been at this point in my life where I'm ready to just throw away God. Because it doesn't seem like the, the, the knots in life are getting changed. And it gets very frustrating. We don't see the impact. It, it, I think it's exacerbated in, this, in the American, North American culture. Because it's a culture that's focused on drivenness and, and um, uh, impact and results. Right? And, and the phrase that I've seen over and over, on, on, at least on Facebook, is that if you're not growing, you're dying. Right? If you're not getting better, if you're not learning more, if you're not doing these things, you're dying. So it's, it's very difficult in a relationship with God when we say, God, I'm not, I'm not being changed or the situation's not getting changed. I'm not growing like I want to. And we think because there's not the effects or the impacts that we think we would like to make, that's where we start to say, God, is, is, is it even worth it at times? And so we can get frustrated and angry, oftentimes, I think, quite skeptical. And in these two parables that Jesus tells, uh, He tells us that the kingdom of God is different than that experience. And He wants us to know something about the kingdom of God. Uh, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, I think this will be helpful to understand where Jesus was coming from and what He's trying to teach us. And so I have a, a couple of main points that I'm going to hit on uh, today. Uh, 
but of course, you know, my, my congregation always kind of grown because it was never just two points, they're always sub-points. So I have a few sub-points in my first point. Uh, so bear with me, I'll try to make it as clear as possible as we're going along. But I think the first thing that we end up seeing in our passage about the kingdom of God, which Jesus, Jesus is preaching about, is that it's a kingdom of great growth. It's a kingdom of great growth. And, and the first thing we need to know is, is that God's kingdom is growing. He sets up a simile. He says, the kingdom of God is like. So he says, it's like a seed that was scattered. It sprouts and grows. It produces grain all the way to full ripening. Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to a seed that grows. He's saying, the kingdom of God grows. It is growing. And, you know, we, I think it's easy to look in the Bible, look at the book of Acts, and this is why every, you know, people want to be, you know, Acts churches. You're in Acts 29. You're like, let's do what the early church did. We look at the significant explosive growth uh, in the book of Acts and even in the first century Christian church. And it, it grew like crazy throughout history, even when it seemed like the gospel was dormant or somewhat silent, God's kingdom has continued to grow. Even in our Southern Californian American vantage point, sometimes it looks like the kingdom of, kingdom of God is not growing the way we want to. But yet, there is explosive growth happening. Uh, for those of you who like statistics and information, uh, I came across an article a while ago from the Washington Post, and they said that in 1980, there were more, more Christians were found in the global south than the north for the first time in 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for 1 billion people. Over the past 100 years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to nearly 500 million today, and one out of every four Christian in the world presently is in Africa. And the Pew Research Center estimates that that will grow to 40% by 2030. It says that Asia is also experiencing growth as, world, as the world's Christianity or Christianity's world center has moved not only south but also east. And in the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of population in that continent. Asia's Christian population of 350 million is now projected to grow to 460 million by 2025. The global religious wild card is China. Even today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshiping in China on any given Sunday than in, in the United States. The kingdom is growing. What about here at Infusion Church? In Luke 17, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, where the kingdom of God is in your midst. And when he says that, he's saying the kingdom of God is within you and uh, around you or among you. And he was saying, where I am, there the kingdom of God is. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. See, where God's people are gathered together in the name of Jesus, for Jesus' sake, to worship Him and to be with Him, which you are today, that God's presence is specially here. Whether we can see it or feel it or experience it, God is present 
with us. And he's saying, my kingdom is present here. And where I am present, I'm growing. Because where the kingdom of God is, there is growth. Even if you feel stagnant, God is at work. Even if you feel like the results are not what you want, God is at work. Even if you feel like you're ready to give up on God, He's at work, and He will not give up on you. You see, God's desire is to work in you and through you, to produce you more and more like Jesus. And friends, I think we need to remember this, is that Jesus' promise is that the kingdom of God is growing. And in Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell, that's a Hebrew idiom that basically means death. He's saying not even death itself will keep my kingdom from growing. Secondly, God's kingdom grows through our sowing. You know, when you first look at this the first parable. It kind of sounds like the American dream come true, right? Here's someone who does a little bit of work, gets to go home, sleeps, wakes up, and he's got this bountiful harvest. Uh, it sounds like, you know, some of my dreams where I just like want to put in a little bit of hard work and then get all kinds of money from it, and I can just relax, retire easily. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this kind of idea, but I think it's one of the reasons why we love the idea of the money market, of money markets, is that we can put in a little bit of money that we, we earned, and then we can have this, these amazing riches uh, at the end of it. And that's what it seems like is Jesus is saying here, is that there's a little bit of growth and, you know, don't worry, you'll be rich at the end kind of, kind of thing. Uh, but that's not what's going on here. Jesus, what Jesus is uh, saying here is he's saying that work, continual work, in the kingdom of God is vital for God's people because it's the church, it's God's people that is the hope for this world. God's church is the hope for this world. It's not government. Leaders come and go. It's not social reforms. They change with every culture. Okay? It's not better education or stronger financial portfolio or moral transformation that's going to bring lasting hope to this world. Those things can be good, right, and, and important. It's good and right to have a government that governs fairly and equitably. It's good and right to be a part of social reforms. It's good and right to press for greater education. Uh, it's good and right and necessary to be wise with how we handle money that God has given to us. It's good and right to be morally upright people, but these things will not redeem and renew and bring hope to the world that is needed. Jesus' brothers and sisters, us, we, are the hope for change in this world. So friends, how are you doing at sowing? I think this is pretty incredibly humbling that God would work through you and me. But it's also incredibly empowering because God will work through you and me. 
through our sowing, we see the hope of God in the world. In word and deed, let us not give up. Let's not stop running the race. Let's press forward. Because thirdly, I think we need to remember this though, very important, is that God's kingdom grows by His power. By His power. Notice in verse 27, the seed still sprouts and grows even though the man sleeps and has no idea how it grew. Jesus is saying, sowing we can do, growing we cannot do. I have a, my five-year-old son, Jacob, uh, loves to play Super Mario Galaxy on the Wii, uh, and he's pretty good at it, uh, and he can only play it because we really only have two games, uh, and yes, it's a Wii. It's like old school. I don't know if any of you are gamers. You're like, <laughs> really need to step up your game, bro, but um, he lo- loves to play Super Mario Galaxy, um, and he gets two days a week where he can play video games. And so he and I would, would play it uh, together. But a few nights when he was asleep, I would sneak into the garage, which we kind of transformed into the kids' area. I would sneak into the garage, and I'd play Super Mario Galaxy. Um, and I was making amazing advancements. Okay, just incredible. I mean, I mean huge advancements. No one understands Super Mario Galaxy like me. But the, the other day, or a few weeks ago, I ended up beating the game. Um, and you're like, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, this 40-something-year-old, quite middle-aged man defeated Bowser. But, um, but I told Jacob that, and I was nervous to tell him. But he was very excited. But as a result, he would say, tell his sister and his brother and his mom and the other people who came in. He would say, yeah, we beat Bowser. Right? We did this. Uh, and Jake had some effort involved, but it was really daddy behind the scenes you know, kind of doing all the work. I was the one getting the new stars and the new galaxies. And I mean, Jake was sewing, but Daddy was doing the growing uh, for this kind of thing. Um, and it's an interesting dynamic when we come to life with God is that we've got to remember, yes, there is some work that we're doing, but God is the one who grows things. I, I remember as a kid, you know, I'm, somewhat, I'm somewhat vertically challenged. Um, I'm not very tall. Um, and I always wanted to be taller. Uh, and as a kid, especially in, you know, teenage years, I would see my buddies grow six, eight inches, you know, over one summer. Uh, and it just bothered me. And no, no matter how much I ate, no matter how much I exercised, no matter what I could, I could not make myself grow taller. I wanted to, uh, but I could not do that. There, there was no effort I could do that would actually bring that growth. I find it really interesting, Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, uh, he said this uh, when he was talking and commenting on this parable. Can you make a seed germinate? You may place it under circumstances of damp and heat, which will cause it to swell and break forth with a shoot, but the germination itself is beyond you. How is it done? We know not. After the germ has been forth, put, been put forth, Can you make it further grow and develop its life into leaf and stem? No. That too is out of your power. And when the green grassy blade has been succeeded by the ear, can you ripen it? It will be ripened, but can you do it? You know you cannot. You can have no finger in the actual process, though you may promote the conditions under which it is carried on. 
Life is a mystery, growth is a mystery, ripening is a mystery. Certainly this is true of the rise and the progress of the life of God in the heart. It enters the soul and roots itself, we know not how. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. In Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to do, and to, uh, to do or act in order to fulfill His good purpose. See, friends, I think when we know that it's God's work that causes the change in our lives and the change in other people's lives, one of the things it should do is it should eradicate all pride in our life. The child in God's kingdom looks at his or her life and says, yes, I have sowed, but God is the one who has grown me. He's the one who's changed me. It should remove any sense of spiritual pride that says, you know what, I made it by doing these steps, so could you. It should get rid of our pride. It should also get rid of all of our worries and the burden that we carry of change in our lives and change in the lives of those we love. See, God is at work. He's the one who causes the growth. It's not my performance, but God. It's not my control over someone that will change them. And this, I think, more than anything, should give us great patience. Uh, Like the man in the parable, we don't know the timing of God's work. We don't know the timing, and this is probably one of the hardest things is, is, is patience with this, patiently waiting for change, for, for transformation. I currently have a relationship in my life where God is, is, is training me in patience uh, like I've never been trained before because I think he's, trying, he's probably trying to teach me a lot more than this other person, but I am at almost at the end of my rope, you know, where I've been praying for years and years and years for, for great change, and it just hasn't happened. And, and it's, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to trust God when you don't see the change happening. It's hard to trust His power. God, really, are you at work? It's hard to trust those things. And I'm almost at the end of my rope where I'm, I'm just... And I think this is where God needs me and wants me to say, I obviously, I cannot control this. I cannot make this person change. Whether it's a friendship, whether it's your spouse, or someone in the family that you love deeply, God's saying, I'm the one to cause change and to cause growth. Have patience. Have patience with me. You know, I don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to do here at Infusion Church. But be patient uh, as you gather, uh, gather in your groups, your crowded houses, uh, your gospel DNA groups, uh, your faithful teaching of the Infusion kids, just your own Bible reading, prayer, taking the sacraments. I mean, He will, he will give the growth as He desires in His time. And I don't know about you, but when I start to appropriate that into my own life, uh, burdens begin to get lifted. Ever so slowly, but it produces patience in me because I know I can wait for God's work because He's the one who causes growth in His kingdom.
See, God's kingdom is, has great growth. Uh, and that may all be true and good, but what's going to give us the power and the excitement and the energy to press forward? I think we must see the second big thing is that God's kingdom is a kingdom of great grace. You know, the second parable that Jesus uh, gives here, none of us would really understand what he's saying upon our first reading. But Jesus' hearers would have known exactly what he was referring to because he refers to this image um, of birds of the air perching in the shade of a great tree. And what Jesus is doing here is he's referring to Old Testament imagery. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 17, in referring to God's kingdom, Ezekiel declares that God will take a small sprig from the cedar tree, plant it, and it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it, they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. And then in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and his kingdom is referred to as an enormous tree in the middle of the land. Daniel says its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, on this, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, the birds of the air lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. The Old Testament prophets use the image of a tree to represent the magnitude of a kingdom, that this tree would give shelter and shade and food. It would give life to everyone in it or under it. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve were created to be in harmony with one another, or they had harmony with one another, harmony with God, harmony with all creation, true shalom was happening. It's no mistake that in the middle of the garden was a tree. Two trees, to be specific. One of them was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other was the tree of life. And Hebrew scholars say that it was in the middle of the garden because that's the focal point. That's where our attention is drawn to. Kind of like, you know, if you're throwing darts, if you're playing darts, um, we try to hit the bullseye. Um, some of us are better at it than others, but uh, the bullseye is kind of where you're drawn to. And this is why the tree was in the middle of the garden, because the tree of life represented humanity's place to find peace and harmony and the soul's sustenance and life. It was the tree that represented life with God, and as long as Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they had life and peace and harmony. But the problem was is that Adam and Eve believed the lie that they could be great human beings, magnificent human beings, if they ate from a different tree. And that decision plunged all of humanity into believing that we could be great and magnificent if we just eat from a tree other than God's tree. And ever since, humanity has been eating from the fruit of that tree, convinced that I can have my soul sustenance, I can find peace and shelter and shade and life apart from God. 
Friends, this is, this is why we experience disharmony in our own hearts and minds, in our friendships, in our marriages, with our coworkers. This is why there is disharmony. And we think that if we continue to eat from this other tree, that we can basically claw our way back into the Garden of Eden, back to the tree of life. We're tr- the, the, the image I get, I grew up in Canada, and uh, in the wintertime, you'd drive out to the mountains and all these frozen waterfalls, and you'd see uh, people climbing them, you know, with their, their picks, and the image I get for some reason is it's like trying to climb a frozen waterfall with ice picks made of plastic forks. It won't do it. They're not strong enough. It will not sustain you. You cannot do it. We can never climb our way back into the tree, back to the garden. And friends, there, there is no mistake that in the New Testament, the cross of Jesus is referred to as a tree. First Peter 2, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. The cross of Jesus is the tree that we're to turn to if we want life. It's the tree where we find sustenance and shelter and shade for our souls because it's at that tree where we find harmony with God restored to humanity. All these other so-called kingdoms of the world operate on effort. You want to be great in this world? Work hard. You want to be magnificent in this world? Work smarter. Even all all other religions say you want peace for your soul, you want harmony with your relationships, you want shade, shelter, and sustenance, do the right things. Meditate more, read more, pray more, read, eat, sleep, eat, pray, sleep more. You know, whatever it is. Do more of it, and yet none of those kingdoms will bring us and bring you what the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ will bring. And you know why? Because the kingdom of God is a tree of grace. It's a tree of grace, not not of personal effort or goodness. That we can perch in the shade of the cross of Jesus Because at the cross, Jesus did everything that you and I are supposed to do in order to get back to the tree of life, back to Eden. It's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. I've accomplished it. I've done it. Everything that God requires for us to be at peace with Him, in harmony with each other, It was completed at the cross. And if you come to God through Jesus Christ, that's where you find nourishment for your soul. That's where you'll be the magnificent human being that God intended you to be. But in this kingdom of grace, what it means is that you must die to yourself. The world says, if you're not growing, you're dying. The kingdom of God, the child in the kingdom of God says, if you're not dying, you're not growing.
Will you place yourself into his kingdom of grace by faith today? Come into the protection and the shade of his kingdom. Don't bring your efforts to God. Rest in his great grace towards you and let his grace allow you then to live in great obedience towards him. Folks, no matter how frustrating you find the Christian life to be, you can be guaranteed that the kingdom of God that you are a part of promises great growth because it's a kingdom of great grace. So say to this God this morning, along with the great hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to run from here and now um, in my heart, I want to take control of my life. I want to do all the right things so that I experience growth. And yet I could do all those things and do them in vain for I would be doing them uh, out of religious duty and not out of the grace that you have brought to us in Jesus Christ. Would we be loving to you and to others, obedient to you and to others because of that grace? Holy Spirit, we all need change. We may not desire it at this moment. We may be very frustrated with it at this moment, maybe even ready to give up on the idea that you work. But have us cling to the promises that Jesus tells us. Have us cling and trust and lean in to know that your kingdom is growing, not only in this world, but in your children. And it's growing and it's within us and will continue to grow within us until one day we can all stand before the great throne room of grace and sing praises to you for you have been faithful to grow your kingdom, to once, to finally establish your kingdom fully. So God, I pray for all of us this morning that uh, you would challenge us, uh, that you would allow us to respond to your message. Um, would we cling to Jesus, would we not bring our efforts, but cling to him this morning.